This podcast is offered by the San Francisco Zen Center on the web at sfzc.org. Our public programs are made possible by donations from people like you. How can we become free of this unjust body and mind so we can practice justice? Well, I suggest it is by practicing real communication, genuine conversation. So today, the focus is on the genuine, the real conversation through which we can become free of our biased and egocentric body and mind. sitting in the in the waiting room asking for uh, <laughs> to be admitted to the inner chamber and so we're gonna you may come in now um, so uh, conversation real conversation real conversation I would just suggest it starts with our basic practice of generosity It starts with giving our world to the other, to giving our view to the other. That's where it starts. But as a gift to the conversation, not as a, I don't know what, as an irrefutable truth. Just we give our view as an offering to the conversation in which we will become free of our views without dishonoring them or throwing them out. Giving our world in words to others. If people go to demonstrations and carry signs asking for justice, that can be a gift a gift to start the conversation to give their view that there has been injustice to give their view that they want justice to offer that as a gift for conversation once we give our world to others Just like now, I'm giving you my world. I'm giving you my views. Once we offer our views to others, then they're exposed. They're out in the open. In words. And maybe in words the other people speak and understand. And then we can become questioned by others. And in the process of being questioned by others... We realize freedom from our biased and egocentric body and mind.
in the conversation, justice will be realized. The others also have a chance to give their world to us for us to question. So, real conversation involves, real conversation calls us into question. Real conversation calls us in for questioning. Real conversation questions us. Also, in the real conversation, we are called to debate. We, we are debated in real, also in real conversation. We are doubted. And we welcome being questioned. We welcome being doubted. We welcome being questioned. However, as you may have experienced, being questioned, being doubted, Being debated is often quite uncomfortable because, again, as human beings, we're very sensitive to perhaps being excluded from human society if people doubt us, if people question us. But the questioning actually stimulates us being fully ourselves. And we can't be fully ourselves unless we are questioned and doubted and interrogated and debated. These things do not confine us. They help us become fully who we are. And it's often quite uncomfortable this process of awakening brings up questions which we have not yet thought of, but others help us. The process of awakening is the process of being questioned and questioning, of being doubted and doubted. So this process of justice, the process of ethics, deals with particulars. So we offer our world in particulars that people can, again, question us about. That people can inquire about. That people can... Um, yeah, debate us about. By debating the particulars, we open to 
the surrounding beyond the particulars, which then infuses our process of conversation to repeat it and repeat it and deepen it forever. There's no end to this process of conversation. There's no, justice is not a final situation. It's in our ongoing life. I see, what is it? I see friends shaking hands, saying, how do you do? They're really saying, I love you. Anyway, I see, I see friends. They're not, any, you want some of your friends want to shake hands now? Go ahead, shake hands. Yeah, thank you. I see friends shaking hands. And I wanted to say to the friends shaking hands that um, I want to thank you for your, what do you call it, your sweet and sincere good wishes to me day before yesterday for my 77th birthday. Thank you so much for uh, your kind wishes. And um, basically, uh, yeah, I, I could go on, but uh, I think maybe we could also start conversation now. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're welcome to start the conversation. I'm ready. Are you? Mm. You need anything more before the conversation starts? You can call me into question now. You can express your doubts about my world. You can debate me. Do we just talk or do we do it in the chat? Yeah, please talk. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Um, good morning, Nana. I really appreciate your talk, um, that you were talking about justice and that you are addressing the issue. And I had some questions because as a white person, I've been given direction, at least what I've been hearing, is to do three things, which is, you know, listen to and follow the lead of people of color, do the hard work of looking at myself and then look at the institutions that are upholding our systems of oppression right now. And I really am struggling with the third piece here as a Sangha member, because, you know, when I heard what you were talking about today, that it's coming from conversation and I've had conversations with leadership, um, personal, and then I'm looking at it from kind of institutionally what we can do. And I'm noticing that though I can have practice discussion with leaders, and that's a discussion, but then in terms of our institution, I don't see a place for conversation at the level at which things would change. Like, I know I can make a presentation and be heard, but it, in my experience, it hasn't been a conversation. And I don't know how I, as an individual, can support my institution 
to put into place systems that create the conversation that you're talking about. And I also am curious about like leadership of color. And I see many people of color in our Sangha who are leaders, but they're not in a position of leadership. And that feels institutional. And I don't know as an individual how to address that. So that's my question is, I want to do this piece of being someone who is looking at, you know, this is my institution. That's what I've always learned is we are a Zen center. And I'm struggling with how to, like, what is, what, a, what is our institutions? How do I change that? Um, right now, you're, you're, I hear you. I'm listening to you. And I agree that listening to others is part of the conversation. And then uh, giving, again, giving your world and being listened to is also part of the conversation. So we're, we're meeting face to face and we're listening to each other. And I hear you saying, um, right now, I hear you offering your world to us. Mm -hmm. And do you feel like right now you're, you're, you're not offering your view to the institution? I am. And when I heard what you said about it being a conversation, that's the part that um, is limited. Like I can have practice discussion with leaders, but the institutional piece of like, like I, I don't see where there's a conversation with someone who could make change to put in our institution so that it becomes more conversational around decisions that make systems in our institution more conversational. Is that clear? Yeah. Okay. It is clear, yeah. And, uh, and then when you, after you tell me something's clear, uh, then I have a chance to ask you the questions, which I just did. Yes. So you were clear, and I asked you a question, and you answered me. This is a conversation between two people. Yes. So one uh, one thing I find helpful, which uh, yeah, is to think of concentric circles. One is, of course, yourself. Mm -hmm. So you you look, you examine yourself, you study yourself. Mm -hmm. You're doing that's part of it. Mm -hmm. Then you then you start talking to close friends and family. Mm -hmm. And in the process uh, of talking to them, they will question you and they will, they will disagree with you. They will doubt you. And by, by that conversation with close friends, teachers, and family, we develop all kinds of skills for conversation. Mm -hmm. And we don't have to wait until we have perfect harmony and perfect accord with our teacher, our teachers, our close friends, and our family. We don't have to wait until that's perfect, but we can develop skills there before we feel we have a chance to talk to an institution. And the skills we develop there, we can use then to talk, for example, to the next layer of the community, like, I don't know what, 
your neighbors or uh, the parent-teacher association at your school or your uh, or at your gym or at your uh, um, your 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 book club or at these other levels of widening the circle and then use the skills you develop studying yourself and talking to the people who are close you use those skills to talk to a wider group and then you take the next step into maybe the school board or you know the board of supervisors and you use the skills there too and then you take the next step so uh, and and part of what you bring to is is you is you maybe say I don't see. I don't see that I've reached the next circle yet. I don't see how to do the next circle. I don't see how to relate to the institution. But who you know? How, how could you? I guess. I guess if you, could you tell us how you could imagine relating to an institution, to your institution? What so that would, I related. I I was well. <laughs> I am part of a committee, and we presented to the full Abbott's executive group. Yes. Um, and it, it was a, a presentation. So that's the, I think that's the part that I, like I'm now, like, are, now that I have the information of what you're talking about, that it's the conversation part. And I'm acknowledging okay. that that presentation to the full Abbott's executive group was not a conversation. No, the, it, the way no, it, it was set up. It's a conversation. <laughs> It's a conversation piece. You offered the group a conversation piece. Yes. When you give your world, like right now, you're giving all of us your world. Yes. You, you know, you're not not your whole world, but you're giving you're giving us your world in words. Yes. So we can question you. Yes. And but when you give your world, that's not the whole conversation. That's a conversation piece. Okay. Which we can welcome and uh, question and then we can give you like I know I'm giving you my world which is a conversation for you to respond to okay. so if you give a conversation piece to a group of people and you don't hear back from them then you might give them another conversation piece which is I haven't heard back from you could you tell me when I might be hearing back <laughs> and then you give them another conversation piece and then they hear this conversation piece, and they may say, well, "Maybe we should give her, uh, we should talk, give her something back, for her to question us further, for her to debate us." So yeah, I think you and you, and you could also ask the group, "Is my offering to you?" But you're representing a group, right? Yeah, it's the San Francisco Zen Center's Cultural Awareness and Inclusivity Committee, yeah. so it's within Zen Center. So you're saying we are presenting you. This group is presenting you with this. And we're waiting for your response to facilitate mm -hmm. this ongoing conversation in order to realize justice. Mm -hmm. And uh, and then you get to practice uh, generosity by giving them more gifts, more questions like, when will we hear from you? And to do that as, a, as generosity. So then what do you do? Because I, I did... I did that. It's 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 been a long time <laughs> that we've been um, patient, and we're, and we're starting to make 
changes and we're starting to get responses. And I'm also wondering how to make institutional change, because this is me and our group making a personal effort. And yet I'm also noticing there, there doesn't appear to be a structure in which there is a dialogue. And I'm trying to make, like, I'm, I'm looking at the institutional piece of it and, and that I'm hearing from the community that this is what we do as white people. We're challenging the structures. And I'm wondering if maybe it's the structure that made this take so long that I had to keep saying, did you get my email? You know, does that, am I clear with that? Yes. Okay. And so then I, so you say that, I listen to you, and then I say back to you, I see a structure, but what, what structure do you need in this particular example, what structure are you imagining that would facilitate the conversation? Okay, so I'm communicating to them that I want that uh, that I need a, a dialogue instead of a so ex expressing my worldview of I feel this needs to be a dialogue instead of a presentation. Okay, so that helps. And okay. then how would the dialogue look? How would the dialogue you yearn for mm -hmm. look different from what's going on? Okay. Good, good to tell, to express that, to put that out there too. Because they might think, oh, we're in dialogue with you. And you say, well, I don't feel the dialogue. And you say, well, what do you need to, to be encouraged that you are in dialogue? Okay. We feel we are. You feel you're not. But you feeling you're not calls our sense that we are into question. You're debating in a way. And we need you to debate. I, I feel like we're not in conversation. We're not in dialogue. I, I offer this to you. Okay. And then see if you get back a thank you. Now t tell us more what it would look like for you to feel to be, that you are in dialogue, that you feel enlivened. And we have some questions for you, too. And here they are. You say thank you. You want that, right? Yes. Yes. So, yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. Very helpful. Thank you. Thank you. As a conversation. <laughs> we have another question from yes. Stephen Street. Okay. Uh, Brad, my question is uh, uh, justice for 7 billion people, you know, is a tall order. Yeah. And um, I'd like to give justice to some non human beings. Oh, yeah, I forgot to mention non human beings. We, right. should, we need to be in conversation with trees, too. Right, and not only those gorgeous sequoias and redwoods at Green Gulch, but those gorgeous Bengal tigers. And yeah, we need to be in conversation with all beings, human, non-human animals, plants, water, earth, sky. We need, we need to put our world out to them, too. How do we do that? Uh, you know, we had this... We're having a half-day sitting today at Green Gulch, and I'm talking to you, and I'm indoors. But last time we had a half-day sitting, I sat outside under the maple trees on the earth. And I had, you know, this, I was so moved by the conversation with the earth I was sitting on, by the, by the moss and by the maple trees. They were, like, supporting me. And, you know, I, am, I wish to, you know... Keep in touch with them. I'm having an intense conversation with the maples, with moss, with the gophers, 
is with all beings. And also, this the thing about nice thing about humans is they can, in language, put their world forward to us to question us about how we're relating to the trees. Because the trees maybe don't question us enough in a way we know. But humans can question us about how we relate to the earth. In, in, a, in a just relationship with this non-human being, which would somehow have to do with um, uh, cooling it as human beings, and, um, and uh, I don't know, I mean, it seems to me that we've got some problems there. And I don't see a, you know, finding a path by which is we could cool it as human beings so that we can have some sort of continuing, ongoing relationship with non-human being nature. Did you say finding a conversation with human beings to promote our relationship with non-human beings? Well, finding a conversation with non-human being to promote, promote our relationship with non-human being in a just way. So we, it, it seems to me the only real answer there is cool it as human beings, but it's really hard to cool 7 billion human beings. It's, you know, it sure is. It's hard to cool one. So I, again, we have start with one, yourself, then do it, you know, now you're talking to me and a few hundred other people. You start with what you have to work with, and then it extends. And it's each, each conversation could be hard. One person can ask you a question and doubt you. And one person can make it hard for you to have the conversation. So we are, yeah, we are in the conversation. There are people here who are professionally in conversation in wider groups than just their friends and family about how we can talk to forests and trees and water and so on. They are in that, and they're doing that work. We are in the process of waking up. And it's, it, it is hard. And again, people question, like you're questioning me, you're questioning us. This, this encourage, this, the way you're doing it encourages me enlivens the ongoing process for me. Thank you. Next. Another question from Frederick Warren. Hi, Rev. Hello, Frederick. Hey, you. Nice to see you. I have to say that had I not turned 65 last month, I may have remembered to send you a birthday greeting. But at this stage of my life, I send you a belated greeting. Thank you so much, young man. <laughs> I feel young. Or young, whatever, young person. Reb, I, I've, I've had this perception having gone to Green Gulch since uh, the mid-90s the mid when we needed to retrofit the barn. We weren't meeting in the barn, and we met in the lot, the, the area of Cloud Hall, do you remember? I do. That in Marin, uh, we're quite a homogeneous, 
homogeneic communities homogeneous community and couple that with our proclivity to celebrate, I think the most racially segregated time in our society is during our worship time. So um, I, I find it not particularly unusual that we don't have great diversity. The only time that I've had diversity in my celebration of spirit, I'm, I'm talking to you, Reb, from the coast of Maine. We're back east, and at times we've gone to my wife's church celebrating a liberal Catholic faith in a city of Portland, Maine, that is highly populated with African refugee celebrants at this church, people from Central Africa. And it's interesting to me that at that church, this has really saved an inner city, principally uh, white Catholic church. There are Hutus and Tutsis celebrating together, people that had been at war with one another in their native Africa. Um, but beyond that, I see a society where we celebrate in our tribe. Now, personally, I just wanted to share with you, I've had three conversations over the past two weeks where I introduced ourself, myself, to people that were of African or African-American. These people happen to be individuals from uh, a single woman from um, um, Burkina Faso, a family from Jamaica, and actually a couple of Anglos that were conservatives. Now, I'd like to have continuing conversations with each of them, and we have that opportunity, but I find that that's happened from me extending myself to say hello. How are you? Where are you from? Giving gifts, it comes from you. The conversation comes from you being generous. And I pray that you continue your great generosity to this conversation. Another question from Shin. Um, thank you, Tansy Rushi, for this morning's Tawa talk. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Yeah. Um, recently, um, the res residents at Green Gulch had two sittings by the roadside in support of the um, Black Lives Matter movements, we put up signs, and twice they were taken down, apparently by some people passing by. And there was some anger 
felt in the community or by some community community members. Uh, yeah, um, yeah, it was um, to some of us viewed as an act of an aggression or anger or, or, or hate. So I wonder when you heard about this, what came up in your mind? And what do you have to say to us? I can't remember what happened first in my mind, but mainly what comes in my mind was, I wish I could talk to the person who took it down. Mm -hmm. That's the main thing. I wish I could offer my, my world, which would probably start with a question like, hey, hey, human, what, what are you trying to tell us mm -hmm. by pulling that sign down? I wish I could talk to that person. And one of our members was doing errands for Green Gulch outside at a gas station, and he saw someone take down one of the Black Lives Matter signs, and he, uh, he felt anger, but also he felt like if he would talk to, he felt like fighting. He felt like actually hurting that person. And he did not. And I said, it would have been great if you could have like, it doesn't mean you shouldn't be angry, but if you could have offered yourself generously to that person and could have asked them, what are you trying to tell me, brother? And, uh, but he, he couldn't, he was so caught up in his anger that he was actually feeling hatred also. Anger and hatred are not identical. You can be angry at an act but not hate someone. You can be angry at an act and want to reach out to the person and give them a gift, which is your world, which is a question, which is an invitation. And so I wish I could have, it would have, for me, I wish I could have been at the sign and I could have said, hey, could I talk to you? Could I ask you a question? That I could have been, if even if I was angry, that I could have also been generous and really feel like my anger is just part of my, my world, part of my biased. I'm biased to think that it's okay to put that sign up, and I want to say that maybe. And I'm egocentric. My mind is egocentric. But I can also reach out and give a gift in my confined, biased, egocentric body and mind. I can give a gift and start a conversation. So that's what came up for me. I wish I could, I wish I could have talked to that person. And maybe he, and maybe he, he or she might not have been willing to talk to me. But I start the process by giving a gift of my world, of my question of telling them what I want. I want to talk to you. Please talk to me. Please tell me where you're coming from. Whatever. That's what came up for me. And again, I didn't get to meet that person. So I somehow I, I would like opportunities to dialogue around this issue. Um, and, and we're doing it right now. You have another question from Terry. Um, hello, Reb. Um, 
that is my video. I mean, whatever. Um, uh, it seems to me that what you are talking about is radically different from what the process that uh, Buddhism is usually engaged in because it seems to me that the message usually is your Buddha nature is just there and you need to strip things away and it will just be there. And what you are saying now is there are some things that are so deep or so powerful in terms of our uh, evolutionary body and our cultural training that um, we have to work very hard to discover something new that doesn't actually exist yet. Is that what you're saying? No. Um, my view of our Buddha nature is that our Buddha nature is how our biased, culturally conditioned, egocentric body and mind that is intimately in association with unbiased, unconditioned, non-egocentric mind. The, the Buddha nature, from my understanding, is not just the unegocentric, unconditioned, unbiased. It is the intimacy between the unbiased and the biased, between the egocentric and the freedom from ego. It's the, it's the intimacy of those two. And by intimately conversing about our, with our egocentric biased mind, we will discover the freedom and purity, which is always right there. We don't have to bring it in. It's all, as you say, I agree with you about the Buddha nature is always here, but the Buddha nature is not something separate from us right now. I agree with that. But in order to discover that Buddha nature, which is the pure in close association with the impure, I need to have conversation about the particularities of my cultural condition. And in that intense and profound study of my egocentric bias, body and mind, I will discover transcendent mind and I also discover how they're not separate they're not separate the transcendent mind and the limited mind are not separate yeah and that's what I see as Buddha nature a transcendent pure ego uh, reality realizing mind is not separate from our biased mind but we, but we practice conversation with our biased mind. We offer our, our version of the world to others. And, in our, and because we can't study our biased mind all by ourselves, we need conversation with others to really deeply study it. Just like now, what you're doing. Is that like... Yeah, but I... Clear? Yeah. That was a, a little bit of a step forward, but um, I guess I just was hoping that I could add, 
still at some point get rid of the biased mind, but that's not what you're saying. This, this person is telling you that the justice is not about getting rid of these people, about these people's biases. Justice is not getting rid of all these people, these, these 7 million minus 1 people. It's not about me getting rid of all these biased minds, all these egocentric minds. That's not justice. Justice is conversation among all the biased egocentric beings. And in that conversation, we will realize our Buddha nature. We will realize justice. But not by getting rid of all the biased, culturally conditioned, racially conditioned, egocentric people. If we get rid of them, there'll be nobody left. And the trees maybe say, well, where did they go? <laughs> or maybe not. Maybe they'll be good riddance. Uh, maybe not. Maybe, maybe they won't. Uh, but I, don't, I think the green trees are wiser than that. I don't think they're really like, trying to get rid of us. I think they're trying to wake us up. I think they're saying, look at us. See how we sit? Like they say, like Jesus said, Regard, consider the lilies of the field. Okay, so, but what you're saying is the conversation, it has to be conversation, and, and I mean, what you're really saying is you must start from a point of generosity in the conversation. That's how it starts. Yeah. gift rather than you're angry or this person. Well, you could, your conversation could be, I have a gift from you. Do you want to receive it? And you say yes. You say, I want to tell you that I'm angry. But you're doing it as a gift. You're not doing it to hurt the person. I see. You're doing it to promote the conversation. Okay. I, I, the leaders, the the leaders of this conversation are people who are trying to draw people into the conversation. They're not trying to scare people away by by pointing at them and saying you're bad. They're trying to say, please, may I question you? May I debate with you? But sometimes, you know, people do these things to, to shock people, like, you know, tear down monuments to people who killed Union soldiers to protect slavery. Sometimes those acts shock people into the start the conversation. It's not meant to hurt people. It's meant to stimulate conversation. At least that's the people I am following, people who are promoting conversation rather than people who are just trying to do more hurt, more harm. How are you doing? Oh, well, I'm, I'm getting a feeling for it, maybe. Okay, and yeah. I think the whole idea of conversation and entering it with generosity is, is uh, powerful, and, and I haven't heard it that much. So thank you. I appreciate You're it. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you for giving your gift, your conversation pieces. You're welcome. I have another question from Anne. Can you hear me? Well, there you are. I lost your face. I, I can hear you. Thank you for having this uh, talk on justice. It's it's great. Um, as, as I see it in my sort of path on awakening to racial injustice, it seems like the real gift is the preparation for the conversation and that in order for myself to be ready, to be open, to listen and to hear, I need to know 
some history and I need to um, know some conditioning and I need to have conversation with white people about the atrocity that have happened and start to allow myself to be in my body and to own some of that trauma because I don't think we can just have a conversation and there's been so much hurt that there needs to be prep. And I guess my inspiration is to ask my fellow white people to like, to like get together in book clubs and, and do this work so that we can give to people of color who've suffered a lot in this country, that we can give them the gift of caring and like wanting to know a lot more before we start coming into a room together because there's uh, this is a heart conversation. I, I just, I kind of want that to come from us as white people, like a reaching across a line, say, I'm going to know your story here. I'm going to read about the judicial system and what we're doing with it and what we've done. Yeah. I agree with one additional comment, which is I feel that setting the table for the conversation which i feel you're talking about i don't think it's separate from the conversation i think sending out invitations to a conversation is also conversation and i think the things you're talking about are setting the table for the conversation i think i agree that they can facilitate the conversation they can demonstrate that you're really wholehearted about it that you're willing to do homework to facilitate the conversation, yes. But I don't think that the homework's separate from the conversation. Okay. And sometimes after, during the conversation, people tell us about things that we can go study. Like they tell us about videos they can watch, books they can read, and then we read them. And then we come back to the conversation having, maybe going a little bit deeper into ourselves when we're by ourselves. And then we come back to conversation so we can go we can go deep when we're alone in certain ways and find new things and then we can bring back that what we found to the conversation to clarify it any other questions or comments statements we have one from pamela pamela Thank you so much for your talk. I, I'm hoping it's okay to ask more of this is more about a personal challenge with justice and not a political one. Um, I, but I feel like it interrelates. It's it's like with the, the incident that happened around the sign. Um, and I, I am on a personal level, I'm dealing with a very angry, triggered person in my life. And I feel like I keep trying to be Buddhist. I keep trying to say, I hear you. I empathize with your anger and frustration. And I keep trying to do like all the right things with this person that I have to be connected with because of my children. And, and I, you know, even engaging mediators and the mediators keep like calming this person down. And then he keeps coming back with more rage and attack and sort of verbal assault on me. And I, 
you know, I, I end up feeling like there, it's impossible to engage in dialogue and I have to like protect myself psychically and I end up feeling anger and hatred and like, you know, I want to, you know, um, you know, like this person's the enemy and all these unkind, unbooted thoughts. And I guess I just like, my question is, how do you, how do you in a kind, like, how do you do justice with someone who will not, like, is not capable of, of responding with reason? Did you say, how can you do justice to someone who's not capable of responding with reason? To reason, not capable, yeah, to reason or with reason, yeah. You know, sort of like, how do I both, like, protect myself, but also, like, take the high road when there's this, like, nonstop, like, barrage, and everything I do, it feels like it doesn't work. Like, it, it feels like there's no point. Um, uh, when you said someone who's not able or willing to something about reason, open to reason, what I thought of as a child, children are sometimes not open to reason. They're just not open to it. It's, it's, it's not going to happen for the time being. And this doesn't just happen once. It's, and it's not going to stop. We're, there's no end to children or people who are kind of grown up and large, look like adults. But actually, they're, they're children. They're not, at least at the moment, they're not open to reason. That's not what the name of the conversation is. And also, if they're, uh, so, so that's not going to happen for the moment. But if they're being mean to you, if they're being disrespectful of you, you can offer them something. But maybe what you're going to offer them is not necessarily reason. It may be, it may be a feeling. Or it may be uh, something else which may not be able to get them into conversation, but it might be able to get them in conversation. But to offer them a gift, which will draw them into the conversation, to offer them a gift which does not demand that they are open to reason, but something that will get them to, what do you call it, draw them into conversation with you. In order to do that, I need to work on my own unwholesome tendencies. Wanting someone to be reasonable isn't really unwholesome, I don't think. But hating them is not only unreasonable, but it's harmful. Being angry at them is not necessarily unreasonable and not necessarily harmful. So if someone's being mean to me, it may be quite reasonable for me to walk away which might be quite shocking, but it might draw them into the conversation. Or it might be, I could even yell at them. But I'm yelling not because I hate them, 
but because I'm, I want I I want to have a conversation with you, and I could scream that I want to have a conversation with you. Please have a conversation with me. Now that may sound reasonable, but they may not take it on a reasonable level. But they might take it on a level of this is your being generous to me. You're giving them a gift. Feeling like giving up is part of the process. Such feelings arise in the process of waking up. The feeling of I just this is too hard, the mountain is too steep. That's part of the process of awakening. So if this person, uh, this person is one example, and if this person matured, he did another one. There's an endless list of people who are not yet ready for reason but they still may enter a we can have a conversation even with people who are not uh open to having a reasonable conversation we can have another kind of conversation and, such, and that's pretty hard to have a conversation under circumstances you're describing but what you're doing you keep jumping around and screaming. What you're doing, I see, as your process of awakening from your unjust mind so that you can be more a vehicle of just conversation, of conversations to realize justice. You are in the process of becoming a person who can have these face-to-face -face meetings to realize justice. And if you can, again, uh, earlier there was a question about relating to institutions and so on. If you can learn how to have a conversation and realize justice with this person you're talking about, that will help you work with other groups of people too. We have lots, we have lots of different opportunities, difficult opportunities. Okay, Pamela? Much, Rem. Um, Rem, I just want to make a note of the time. 11:20. We have a few um, people who have their hands up and questions from staff. Um, would you like to? Uh, how many questions would you like to take? I'm happy to keep taking questions until there are no more questions. In the meantime, most other people will probably leave before that time is up. Uh, I'm. I uh, not. <laughs> I'm enjoying this conversation, uh, and I'm happy to continue until nobody else has any questions. All Next right. question, please. There is one from chat from Marianne. Is not the first act of conversation deep listening to others, giving the gift of listening? Is it not listening for not just facts, feelings, but values as we connect with others in these circles of conversation? If you want to make listening first, that's fine with me. That's fine. And then after listening, then there's a response. So, uh, does, does the chat person want to chat back to that? I listened to what you said, and then I responded. I don't believe her audio is uh, working, but uh, she, she can chat back and see. I'm willing to listen to her. Let's see if she chats. So I agree with listening, and then, uh, and then, 
So either I listen to myself and then I make an offering, or I listen to others and I make an offering. So I'm in, a, in the process of conversation. I'm listening, and I'm also speaking. I'm I'm calling and I'm listening all the time in this process. And it's like I don't know which comes first, the listening or the calling. They're really simultaneous all the time. We have another question from Gal. Yes, Gal. Happy birthday, Rod. Um, first. Thank you, Gal. Um, so, I want to offer an observation that um, both gives me pause and offers potential um, hope. Um, you know, I've been reading the book Crooked Cucumber. Um, and it's been helpful in kind of understanding both karmic opportunities and challenges, I think, that our particular institution um, has grappled with as it's evolved and grown. Um, so, oh, I'm sorry, my video is not on. Let me turn my video on. Um, so just three quick observations, because I don't want to take too much time. Uh, one is that an optimistic thing is that um, Suzuki Roshi, I think, came here um, in order to um, help reinvigorate an institution that in Japan, from his view, um, had had become kind of too closed off. And I think that that spirit is a positive one that we can potentially build on. Um, secondly, um, I think he showed through actions, like when um, someone came uh, asking, you know, are you a Zen master? Um, rather than acknowledging that he was, he asked to come and sit and provided through an example, um, you know, an opportunity for engagement. But one thing that gave me pause was um, around chapter 16 or so, they're talking about the founding of the San Francisco Zen Center. And it's being described as within a kind of scary neighborhood where there are murders and attacks. And it was an African-American neighborhood at the time. And um, in kind of contra-example to someone coming in and asking to engage with Zen, um, there's some African-American youths that come in in the very beginning days of the center. And they ask Suzuki Roshi whether he wants to, whether he's going to fight with them. And um, he... I, excuse me, I missed something. What about fight, fighting? What, I missed the part about fight with them. Oh, yes. They, they, they are asking Suzuki Roshi whether he wants to fight with them. Um, and he had, um, you know, his... Um, I forget the term for it, but his stick. And he kind of, you know, I think he was, on one hand, engaging with them um, uh in a welcoming way, but another, but the net result was he chased them out of the zendo. And you so see, you're saying he chased them out of the zendo? Yes. Okay. And I wasn't clear to me. I, yeah. I I lived in the building at that time, and I didn't witness that. But maybe he did chase them out of the zendo. I don't know. But he, if yeah, he you know, he might have chased white people or or Asian people out of the zendo. If they came into the Zendo and said they want to ask about fighting. Yeah. Well, so I don't want to end on a negative note. I just think that, um, you know, he, um, he had some priorities that he was um, focused on. And 
those have a spirit within them that I think we can leverage. And there are positive aspects within the karmic history um, and the DNA that we can use to now engage and expand the community that we have. But I, I found it helpful to go back and really read and just kind of understand um, some of the historic um, uh, drivers um, that maybe we can be aware of and, and use that to be better informed moving forward to understand ourselves. I agree with all that, and I would also say that what I'm talking about is that we call Suzuki Roshi into question. In a way, it's sad that he isn't here to speak back, but I, I, I think he wants us to question him, but then he also has a response. One time in African-American African -American man who I knew pretty well came into Zen Center, that same building, and was approaching Suzuki Roshi. And I thought he was going to hurt Suzuki Roshi. So I stood between him and Suzuki Roshi. And that man said, would you tell your stupid disciple to get out of the way? And Suzuki Roshi said, stupid? Who's stupid? I felt like he engaged in it. I wasn't doing so well engaging him, but in a way I was putting my body in there, Suzuki and I feel like Suzuki could have a conversation with him. And he said, stupid, who's stupid? And he walked away. Thank you, Gal. We have Any another other? question from Mio on. Yes. Morning. I have to say good day because here in Minnesota it's afternoon. Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear. Okay. I was thinking a couple of years ago when you were here, I was speaking to you about You were speaking to me about I lost you, Mjohan. I don't see you. I don't hear you. Where are you? Is anybody here? She might be having issues with her audio and video. Mjohan, are you having issues? Oh, here I am. Okay, hi. <laughs> now I have to see if I can get my video going. Okay, now I see you. Okay, good day. And happy, happy birthday. I was remembering a couple of years ago when we were here, this scene is very apropos to this situation. I was speaking to you about a difficulty I was having with my daughter. And I said that it was very difficult to be a bystander and watch some things that seem difficult to me. And in this situation now, it seems like the same thing. But particularly here in Minneapolis, but everywhere, we cannot be bystanders. We have to be participants. And I think many people have been alluding to this in many ways. And 
I don't think we can be on the sidelines anymore. And that takes into account what Anne was speaking about, about knowing and learning of, about ourselves and about others suffering and just be participating and being right there next to people in difficult situations and letting them know we're there when we need them. I guess that's allies. That, that's, and being there and letting them know is a conversation piece. They can say thank you, or they can say go away, and that's their conversation piece. Sure. Yeah, so in reality, we are in conversation. We need to practice it to realize it. So when you say we can't be bystanders, well, we're not bystanders. We are in the process, but we have to practice it. We are in the conversation of becoming free of our biased, egocentric body and mind. We're in the process of waking up, but we have to practice this conversation in order and get other people's feedback and questioning in order to make it real. And again, dealing with particulars, like your daughter. Yes. And even when it's difficult to not step away, but not step away too far, be willing to come. Well, you can, you can step away as a gift, as a conversation piece. Yes. You know, I'm gonna step away now. You know, like now we have people wearing masks and so on. I'm gonna back up, I, I need more space. But that can be a conversation piece. That can be a generous act to start a conversation. And then the person might say, thank you for backing up. I forgot. Sorry. Etc. The conversation, we, ha we are in it. We don't have an alternative. So let's practice it. Any other questions? Thank you. We have one from Barbara Joan. Barbara Joan. Happy birthday. Thank you. Um, so in this, uh, it, there's a dynamic that I'm trying to understand from inside. It's sort of like bringing the whole idea of a conversation that might go out broadly and go out into the concentric circles and then come in, in a Korean like time. Um, or the universe. Um, so when I am offered a conversation piece, um, or I offer a conversation piece, and then it, it I, I guess I can use the word triggers my multiple complex reactive non-Buddha. Um, ah, I don't know what the, I don't know what the name. Humans are not non-Buddha. Okay, so the side of me that's reactive and angry and shamed and that's, complicated and not, not. That's your body and mind. Yes, okay. When I respond with my body and mind in a way that, that actually breaks the conversation with other with the other person off because 
I yell or I um, cry or I stamp or, you know, I react. And how, and, and, you know, I've matured and worked on this for many, many years. But my question is how to engage that part of the self in the, and it's, it's a wounded aspect in, in part and a reactive response out of self, uh, protection that comes up how what's the what's the how do I or how does one how do we diminish the reactivity of that response because I, I, I actually think that that's both a broad question and an individual question I tend to experience the world very internally and personally in my mind and kind of uh, and body and and bring it in and evaluate but I actually think it it represents a, a much broader idea I've been reading some slave narratives just to to engage in what we need to repair from and they're brutal and they're they're the WPA uh, um, conversations with the, the last ex-slaves that were done in the 30s and they're beautiful and heartbreaking and and they continue to be and so how I, I guess it's a question of kind of in the yin yang of these aspects that are positive and negative and light and dark how do we continue to uh not i don't know or engage the other side so that it doesn't just overwhelm with rage or grief but also includes positive hope and and reconciliation without without justifying the negative how do we maintain the conversation what you just said we're stepping away can be a piece of a conversation piece that's very helpful um but but you can't step away from yourself so apparent at least not and stay whole like you can step away and disintegrate but in order to be integrated, I would prefer to stay whole and remain in a healthy or find new ways and more ways of balancing this conversation. So, is that a clear enough question? <laughs> yes. Okay. Um, what you just gave me, it seemed to me, uh, you just offered your world to me. And there were, your world had lots of questions in it. And um, a number of times you said, how can I do this without uh, 
something, you know, without reactivity or something like that. And I kept feeling like, I wonder if you feel like you, when you're talking to me just now, I wonder if you felt like each word you were giving was a gift to our conversation. I was wondering. Because everything you said and everything you were talking about in your world, in your experience, all those things could be offered to us, to me, and, and for the purposes of starting the conversation. And part of what you offered were some words about being not who you were, about without this and without that. But you did, but you offered that so that I can respond to it. The key thing is to offer your world, to offer your view, to offer your experience as a gift. Including that you think you should be offering something other than what you are. But when you, if you tell me, I feel like I should be offering you somebody better than me right now. If you've offered that, then I can question that. I can say, and I can, I can debate that. I can say, you know, I actually don't want a better person than you. Even though the person you are might be difficult for me, I'd rather have the difficult you rather than a better, better not you. Because not you can't converse with me. So everything that you are is what I want you to give to me so I can talk to you and we can both become free of who you are and who I am and we can realize justice together. But we have to keep remembering that what we're offering is as a gift including that we offer that we think we should be somebody else in order to have a conversation. Some people, like you say, sometimes you think you have to be different to have a conversation. Well, if you're, if you hate somebody, it's not that you have to be different from that. It's that you have to turn and look at that hate and, and be generous with it. And then you can offer the hate, not as a vector of harm, but as information and tell somebody, I have something to say to you, I have a gift for you, and the gift I have is that I feel hate. So how, though, do you propose that in that moment of hate, in that, that, that the turning occurs? I mean, maybe it's the pivoting. So how... If you remember when the hate, if you remember to look at the hate, listen to the hate, be, be respectful of the hate, don't hate the hate, be respectful and generous and careful of the hate, be patient with the hate, practice with the hate, then the hate can be a convert, then the, then the hate actually is a conversation piece, because in yourself, you're conversing with it, with generosity and ethics and patience. And, but, but the hate what we're calling the hate arises in a fire of moment of, of rageful fire. Yeah. And so where do you, so when I'm sitting or when I'm writing, when I'm 
processing and conversing with myself and with these parts of self it's often not there the hate easily transforms so how do you work is when we're when we're um oh we're gone when we're biased and egocentric and confused we cannot see the awakening process very well when you're asleep when you're dreaming you cannot see the awakening i'm proposing that we are in the process of awakening from the dreams you just told us about and i can remember that occasionally because i've said it over and over and heard it over and over i can remember oh this is in this fire i have the opportunity to remember that the buddhas are sitting in this fire this is where they right now this is where the buddhas are turning the wheel of dharma in this fire that i'm in right now the buddhas are here in this fire with me and i can join that i can remember that so that's not getting rid of the fire but it's being a warrior in a certain way like standing in the fire it's, it's being courageous yeah and in order to be courageous we need to aspire to be courageous in order to be courageous we have to think how good it would be if we could actually be present in this fire and remember to practice conversation and also i just a moment ago forgot to be present and now i see that i forgot and now i remember and i'm sorry i forgot but now i'm back and i'm willing to be in this in my body and mind with all my biases and egocentrism and all the wounds that come from my egocentrism and my biases i'm willing to be here because i understand that this is where the conversation is going to happen today thank you rev you're welcome barbara john we have Any one more question, question? Any other? a vivian chavez vivian back from japan <laughs> hi rev um i'm just so so grateful for um you have blown up language as a big deal in a way that i can understand it Great. and i especially like uh, your example of the child because there is a very cute video of um that they made of like they put trump's face on a child and oh, yeah right <laughs> oh it's really cute but and i never understood it in this way of how it reflects back on on me and on the people laughing at the video is that children are triggering as as cute and um vulnerable as they are we or myself in the past i have been triggered by a child where i have lost my control and i hadn't thought about that how easy it is to to go there and i think that that's the gift of your teaching because um i know that for myself i sometimes feel hopeless in being a teacher myself because i want to focus on the conversation and the dialogue and i'm so limited now because i can't teach in person but your teaching insists 
in the circuits, I love that you always teach the same thing. I love that your message is so consistent and it keeps opening um, our intelligence and that you really believe in uh, that we are awakening and I, I, I want to, I'm in the club. If you believe we're awakening, okay. It's painful. Waking up is sometimes really painful. Yes. And we need language to wake up from the spell of language. We are biased to use language in our life. And we, we need to use language in real conversation in order to become free. And we are in the process. We're all of us in the process. And we're all having more or less a hard time. And if anybody's not having a hard time, you're welcome to. And we speak many languages. And we speak many languages. And we need to learn the language of others. Thank you. And we learn languages through conversation. That's right. Thank you. Rev, we have another question from Grace. Okay, Grace. audio isn't unmuting. I have a silent question from Grace. Oh yeah, I see what you mean, Grace. Oh, there you are. I see your face. You can, you, you can make hand signals. Yeah, right. Thank you very much for your patience. You're um, welcome. You and I have been in a dialogue for years about priest ordination. Yes. And my gift to you today is to ask whether or not our our mutual hesitation, I would put it as our mutual hesitation, has to do with your questions about how you can train me, given this body I'm in now. Yeah. Is yes. that? Yes. Well, I, I've come to the position that I think we both should work on that and see whether or not that is true. Um, I'm remembering being Shusou, I we had to work on every step of the formal basis. Yeah. And we, something happened. Yeah. And as much as I don't want to be the gimp or the disabled priest, that's part of my, what I'm in, this body that I'm in now. And therefore I keep feeling the need to push. I mean, the need comes over me to push. I don't want to push. I don't want to push you. I don't want to push the institution. And yet, it feels like this is what is. <laughs> this is what is, yeah. And it's got something to do with the intimacy under the robe for me. I totally agree with you. Thank you for that conversation piece. Thank you very much. We'll continue for the rest of our lives. May it be so. 
We have another question from Deirdre and Gary. All right. Hi, uh, Rev. This is a question from Deirdre um, in Toronto, and Gary's here. Um, about 21 years ago, I came to one uh, of the two dokusans I had with you, and it, ch it, it changed the way I saw myself in a simple, the simplest conversation. I, I had questions about whether to move from the Bay Area to San Francisco to marry my husband, and because of the kids, a step, being a stepmother, and you, you just looked at me and you said, well, you're a grown woman. You can make your own choice. And I said, I was about to say, no, I'm not. <laughs> I, I actually felt like I was about 16 in my body, or I didn't feel like a grown woman, but then I thought, oh my gosh. That was, you gave me a gift, which is, oh yeah, I am a grown woman, I'm 30 almost, and I can decide this, even if I feel like I'm 10. And uh, and that so has stuck with me the whole time through all these years with with our mar my marriage to my husband who's here and our the step my stepsons who've grown and my our own two sons. And I feel a little bit like just this uh, Q&A has just been another gift like I'm, I'm just so grateful um, to be able to, to talk to you again from Toronto still but also um, I've been really questioning whether I want to keep teaching I teach writing uh, primarily but I also teach film and um, literature and the the biggest class I teach is 200 people and it's writing intensive first year English and at the university and I've just been feeling so um, tired and like what's the point and why am I even doing this and what is my service what is my service now um, and I've always felt that the writing was the m most practical service I was giving in my teaching could see that the literature and film, but the writing is practical to teach people how to write what better or to help them practice their skills is practically skillful. I think what you've been saying today has reminded me of the power of words and the importance of learning how to uh, clarify thoughts and then uh, develop thoughts and then engage in conversation and written conversation. I think somehow you've helped me see that 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 really is a service just in this back and forth. So I, I have to say, I really um, kind of, you've blown my mind again. <laughs> so thank you. You've blown mine too. <laughs> <laughs> How are we doing, Jenny? Person 
that's one of the things that happens on the road is maybe wondering kind of an uncountable number of times wondering how much longer is this going to go on so as you know we have this practice of sitting and uh, <laughs> Zen students often have this like children in the car daddy mommy are we there yet when are we going to get there when's this period going to be over how much longer is this person going to talk etc this is a normal these are normal things on the endless path the question is do you and i think maybe you do want to practice a way which is longer than long which has which is open ended do you, do you can you actually want to walk a path like that then let's do it and then every step of the way is it including when's this going to be over when am i going to stop being like this when are they going to stop being like that that's when things all things happen on this path when are these people going to learn this when are these people going to listen to reason when are these people going to grow up this is these are things we run to run into on this path right yes so i have to look at that and be enthusiastic about it and do it over and over in order to step by step wholeheartedly want to walk on a path that is open ended yes and full of everything okay <laughs> thank you so much you're welcome the next person is mara 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 Am I officially unmuted? <laughs> yes. Hi, Reb. Hi, Mora. Um, nice to see you. I want to um, kind of echo what many other people have been saying about how much this is supportive of me and my practice. I want to thank you for, I don't know if you remember who I am, but I was fortunate enough to spend time with you at the Cliff House at the programs in Santa Barbara where Alice had organized and and have you know in addition to you know being part of green culture in times before that um i have a question again it's a personal one but i think it will help me um become more skillful in, in conversations in, in general um so there's in my family there's been sort of this tradition of shunning <laughs> basically shutting off conversation i'm just saying i'm not open you know, I'm not having a conversation with you. And I think this was sort of a way to deal with anger, fear. We also were subject to sort of excessive abuse from people who were supposed to protect us and didn't. And sort of the, our way out when we were more vulnerable was to just walk away completely. And um, so sometimes I find when I encounter that in sort of my closer circle of humanity, um, I, I, I am in a, I'm kind of conflicted in respecting that, that request of, I don't want a conversation. And yet you're saying, and I believe, I, I believe that we are always in conversation <laughs> and maybe my, you know, but, and I just, I kind of, um, go back and forth with, don't go where you're not wanted. 
and with um, being skillful, more skillful in, in offering a gift. And I don't want to just console myself or convince myself that I, I need to walk away completely in order to be respectful. I, how, do I, how do I keep a conversation alive just simply in my heart when there seems to be little wor- few words that will you know, pass back and forth? And I think sometimes how this has informed some of my behavior in the larger world and in these certain these times is I don't go where I'm not wanted, <laughs> you know, rather than be more um, welcoming or offering or generous with my, who I am or my my imperfect, biased, <laughs> culturally conditioned self. <laughs> yeah, so I, I would say start there. Be generous with your culturally conditioned self, which includes, uh, I don't want to have a conversation anymore. I'm giving up. This is too much. Have a conversation there. And then that will help you be ready to offer up. But again, when you offer a gift of a conversation piece, if it's a gift, you're not trying to get the person to, to accept the gift. You'd like, you'd like them to. It would be good for them if they did. But in fact, they do accept it. If you, say, if you offer them the piece and they say, I don't want to talk, that's, they have received it and they told you they don't want it. That's the conversation. But it, it may be appropriate when you hear that they don't want it. You might be quiet for a while. But being quiet is part of conversation. You can see that listening to them say they don't want to talk and accepting that and respecting that is your contribution to the conversation. You listen to it. I, I just want to make sure that I'm not trying to convince myself of that I'm not giving up on, I I guess I'm never giving up on conversation if we're always in conversation, but I want to be skillful. Well, you want to be skillful. Mm -hmm. And even when you think that you want to give up, or even when you say you want to give up, you're still in the conversation. I'm saying that to you. And, uh, yeah, and, and you can, and you can get that. Oh, I just said, I don't want (laughs) to, I just said, I don't want to be in conversation more. I just said, I give up on conversation. Yeah. And I'm listening to myself say that. And I'm saying, I hear you, Mara. I hear you. I'm in conversation with myself. And now I'm ready to tell somebody else this funny story about myself. But you might have to be, you may have to stop talking to somebody else in order for you to realize that you think you want to give up on the conversation. That's that you have that thought in your mind. And you have to listen to that in yourself because it, because it, there it is. Don't skip over what's going on in your own mind to have a talk with somebody else, including, I don't want to talk with them anymore. I, I, I give up on talking to them. This is this person's hopeless. I'll never be able to have a conversation with them. If you can 
be kind to that thought that you can't have a conversation with somebody, you can see how silly that is without anybody telling you that it's silly. You'll see it yourself. But you have to to listen to yourself first to see you don't really mean that. And then, oh yeah, I I just said that. That's just some thought in my mind which I listened to and I had a conversation with, and now I realize it's just silly. And now I'm ready to talk again to this difficult person, or rather, this person who I think is difficult. (laughs) And I could even maybe tell them that as a gift, you want to hear something that might be difficult for you to hear? And they might say, yeah, you say, I just want to tell you that I I had difficulty having conversations with you. And the person might say, thank you for telling me. And I have difficulty with you. And you might say, shall we continue anyway? Even though we have difficulty with each other? I often I often tell the story that Suzuki Roshi said, I mean, I said to Suzuki Roshi one time, I mean, I knew that other people sometimes had difficulty with them. And I was not exactly jealous. I just thought maybe I was missing out on something. And I said to him, Roshi, I never never have difficulty with what you say. I never have difficulty in conversation with you. And he said, oh, we will someday. But then he died. So I didn't have difficulty with him. But if he had lived, I would have. And all the people I have difficulty with I can have conversations with. But it's hard. But it's but for the sake of peace and justice, I'm up for it. Okay? Thank you. You're welcome. Are we are we done? We have at the moment three people with their hands up. Okay. Three more things. I'll keep going. <laughs> Next one will be Karen. Karen. She's muted. Oh, now she's unmuted. No. Good morning, Rob. Good morning, Karen. Um thinking about entering into conversation with people there's you know, there's something that happens it happens in all conversations a little bit which is that you know when i'm in the conversation i'm somewhat chasing an outcome i, I want it to go a certain way and um when i notice that in most conversations i regret it and i try to you know do better But when it's a conversation about justice, I'm really wanting to change hearts and minds in a direction that I want them to change. And um, I know that's not good, but I don't find in myself, I don't find that I regret that. And I think that maybe that's really bad. So I'd just like to know what you have to say about that. Um, wanting, uh, I, 
think Buddha wants hearts and minds to change. I think Buddha wants hearts and minds to change. So you can want hearts and minds to change and be just like Buddha. Okay? Okay. However, Buddha being quite wise does not try to change people's hearts and minds. What yeah. Buddha does is Buddha practices generosity towards the hearts and minds of beings. And when Buddha practices, or you practice, generosity towards the hearts and minds of beings, beings' minds change in the direction of generosity. And also there's a being which, I don't know if it's, if it's an addition to you or if it's you, but there's, when you're in conversation with people, it's almost like there might be a third, you're talking to somebody about something important. It's almost like there's a third person in the room who wants the person you're talking to to change. But it's really kind of like just part of your bias. You're biased to, with the thought or the feeling that it would be good if this person changed. That's almost like another person, but really it's, it's part of your normal human body. And if you work, in, so we don't get rid of that, that bias. We don't get rid of that, any egocentrism. It's present. We're in the middle of it. Now, in the middle of that, you offer a, a gift to this person who you have the bias, have biases towards. You give them gifts, which could be telling them about your biases or not. But if you're in the conversation, you, you, without getting rid of your biases, without getting rid of your egocentrism, the conversation will realize what you want. And the conversation, and, and both you and the other person will change anyway. But as the conversation becomes more and more real, you will both change in the direction of justice, of being appropriate to liberation and peace. You will change in that way. The conversation will change you both including that one or both of you wants to change the other person or themselves. But those are biases. And you, and without getting rid of them, you can have a real conversation. That's what's liberating. That's the face-to-face -face transmission. Not this face getting the other face to be the way they want them. But including that, not getting rid of it. And regretting it or not regretting it. So what I would regret is not being generous to myself and others. I don't regret being me. And a lot of people might wish I did, but <laughs> I, I'm trying to accept and be generous with me. I'm trying to practice generosity rather than get a better rep. Again, I tell you, Suzuki Rishi, he gave me my name, right? <laughs> I was ordained. He said, your name means Reb is Reb. He didn't say, your name means Reb's going to get better. <laughs> your name is Reb is Reb. And he said, people may have problems with that. 
and I've been watching the truth of that. People have problems with that, and I'm work I'm working on that to be that because being that includes conversation between me and everybody. The second part of my name is complete conversation. Not getting rid of my biases and egocentrism, but totally working with it generously and carefully and patiently and working in that way, including any regret. But mostly my regret is about not working with what I'm being given. Missing the chance to practice with what I'm being given. That I regret. And I'm happy to have that regret. Mm -hmm. You seem to have so much confidence in this process of conversation. I do. I do. I do. And I have confidence which is, goes beyond what I see. I get, I'm getting confidence not just from all the benefits I see from the conversation, it, perceptibly, but the imperceptible is filling me with more and more confidence in the actual in the actuality of this face-to-face transmission that it's always going on it's it's what we really are we are the conversation of the universe with the universe i have confidence in that and what i can see does increase the confidence but i'm getting support from someplace beyond what i can see thank you you're welcome one, two more questions, are there? At the moment, yes. Charlotte. 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 Okay. Charlotte. Hey, Rem. Hey. Do you hear me? I can hear you. Can you see me? Well, let's see. Um, I can hear you. Uh-huh. I'll not be able to see you in a second. <laughs> Let's see, Charlotte. Yeah. Oh, there you are. Are you in Sweden? Yes, I'm in Sweden. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Hi. Hi. How Charlotte. lovely to see you. Lovely to see you. Um, actually, I don't really have a. My conversation piece is not really a question. It's more like a. Well, give me your face. Yeah. That's a conver- your face is a conversation piece if you give it to me. Thank you. That's what I wanted. <laughs> yeah. Just give me I your just, Yeah. I just wanted to uh, say thank you and uh, just so grateful to be a part of, of this conversation with all of you. And I feel uh, kind of lonely in somehow in my in my practice and um, uh, I just want to be a part of all of you <laughs> and uh, it's just lovely to see you Reb lovely to see you and and I just want to say again she just offered us a conversation piece right and part of the process of the conversation will be that once you offer this, you can be questioned about it. Once you offer this, you can be doubted. 
like somebody said, oh, she doesn't really mean that she's glad to, to see us. Or, to, you know, or people say, oh, tell us more about that, you know? So keep offering yourself as a conversation piece and be aware that if nobody asks you any questions, you maybe should ask them some questions. Like, how come you never ask me any questions? There's a lot of Zen mm-hmm. stories like that, right? Some great, some great Zen student is with a Zen teacher for a long time, and the teacher says, well, you've been here for two years, and you never asked me any questions. How come? <laughs> so, thank you for offering your face, and I look forward to asking you more questions in the future. So do I. <laughs> thank you. May I live a few more years. <laughs> and May you live. And I thought I saw Deborah had her hand raised. Um, Mayshu is next on my list. Okay, Mayshu. Mayshu, Mayshu, Mayshu. Where are you? Oh, there she is. Mayshu. Mayshu. Oh, there you are. Hi, Mayshu. You're muted, Mayshu. Would you un- unmute mate you please, Timo? Okay, you're unmuted, mate you. Please talk. Just uh, all for my the conversation is this conversation is uh, all for myself to you and to check out everything for you and give you a chance to question me. Thank you. How How is your life now? Oh, good, very good. And I walk from home for several months already. And are you, how are you feeling? Um, in peace. You're feeling peace? Yes. And do you have any further questions for me today? I want to, well, I want to chair house everything for you, but it seems like you are wonderful. But would I your confirmation? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for coming to meet me, Meiju. Next. We don't have anybody on the list right now. Deborah, Deborah, I'll, I'll unmute Deborah. Okay, Deborah. Hey, Rev. Thank you. Welcome. So, the Bodhisattva path is long, very long, endlessly long, and I often find myself. I'm willing to make that commitment for that long path, but I'm off. Um, I'm often very challenged on that path of feeling, uh, I don't expect to get all tearful, feeling overwhelmed, um, being a caregiver for someone now and finding that 
um, kindness for myself and kindness for the person. And often I feel I have to forego kindness for myself to take care of others. I just don't know if you have any thoughts of um, how to create better balance in that. Like I want to take, I want to be committed to caring for myself as well as the other people I'm caring for. Um, but I'm finding it very, um, that I often have to give up my self care, um, to be, to what I feel is kind and appropriate at the moment. Well, how about an example of where you feel like you have to give up your self care? Can I hear an example of that? Um, yes. When I'm feeling very tired and someone I'm caring for really needs my care and I don't feel that I have anything to give, but it feels very necessary to care for them because they're, they are suffering more than me, I guess. I feel like I'm suffering and I need to kind of retreat and regroup, but I, but the person, you know, is anyone caring for someone who's sick or struggling, um, may need immediate care. And I find, um, just trying to figure out how to be kind to myself in a current process I'm going through in caretaking. Um, but, but I've had, you know, I've found myself in this situation many times. And I remember one time you told me that to try to rest in doing everything. Um, I haven't really found out how to totally rest, I think, in doing everything. Well, I hear the conversation piece of, I haven't yet how found out how to rest, or I'm not so skillful at resting. I hear that. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I say this many times, part of being diligent, part of vigorous effort on the Bodhisattva path is resting and you got that message right mm-hmm. and you're saying to me but I'm not too good at it and I'm saying I hear you but I, even though I hear you I'm reminding you that in order to be enthusiastic caregiver you part the part of the job is to rest if you don't rest there's a risk that you'll actually just quit right you know you'll you will, uh, yeah, you will basically burn out. So I, I, it's, uh, <laughs> I used a nice example over and over. There was a little boy who's not a little boy anymore, and he thought I was really interesting, and he wanted me to give him care all the time. It was when he was awake. He always wanted, he just wanted my total attention, my total devotion to caring for him. It was wonderful. However, I got tired. I got tired and I could, I wasn't being able to take good care of him because I was getting more and more tired. And I would say to him, can I take a break? Just a little break. And he said, no, 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 no. Just a tiny one. No, 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 no. If you just give me five or 10 minutes, I'll be much more fun when I get back. Really, I will. And he said, okay. And I go just away for a few minutes and I come back and I was more able to engage with him. 
So people do need constant care. People do need constant care. And in order to give constant care, part of it is to ask people to give you a break. That's part of the constant care they need, is to hear from you that you need rest. And that tells them that they need rest. That's part of caring for them is to tell them that if they want to take care of themselves, which they have to do too, they need to rest. For you to not rest when you're constantly caring for someone, for you to not make your rest part of your constant care, is misleading them. It's not teaching them to rest. They need to rest also in order to take care of themselves and you. So you need to have more confidence in resting, but not just one-sidedly rest. It's great to tell other people that you feel a need for them and ask them to give it to you. Give them the gift, have a conversation about resting, like I did with my grandson. No, 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 please. No, 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 okay, rest, come back. Part of caregiving is to tell people you're getting tired. Like driving a car. I took a driver's test recently, and it said, when you're driving a car, and should you wait until, when should you pull over and rest? Is it when you start to feel tired? That's not the right answer. The right answer is pull over on a regular basis. Don't wait until you're ready to fall asleep at the wheel before you rest. So rest on a regular basis. And that may be more complicated than driving a car, but we do need rest. We need rhythm in our effort. Constant effort has rhythm where you make more or less different types, start and stop. That's part of it. So you need to train at resting in order to give constant care. And once again, resting does care for others because it shows them that the caregiver needs it. So they need it too. They need to give what they're doing a rest sometimes. Okay? I think what I'm doing is seeing that they're suffering so much and I'm trying, I'm not suffering as much as them, so I'm trying to help them not, I mean, sounds obvious, but, yeah. you know, help them not suffer so much. I think I'm taking on their own, their suffering um, in order to try to help, and that's not helpful. Okay. Thanks for the insight. <laughs> do you agree? I'm sorry. Uh, do I agree? Yeah. I I I think that I I would like to question you about that in the future, and I I think I would like to have you question what you just said. Okay. Have a debate with yourself about what you just said, but I do think you're telling us, and I do think you do have a problem feeling confident that you resting helps you be a a more enthusiastic caregiver. I, I see that. And I'm not so sure the causes and conditions of it. So I question your theory. Okay. I'm more not trying to get into, I don't really know why you have this problem. Which <laughs> I've heard for years that you have this problem of giving yourself rest so that you can be a care, better, care, a more wholehearted caregiver. I'm, I'm just trying to encourage you to do it rather than theories about why you don't. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Are we by any are we by any chance 
at the end of the questions? From my view, yes. Okay, so, and there's still 81 people here. <laughs> I, uh, I just no. see Maya rising. Maya has risen her hand. Maya? Yeah. Where, where did Maya have your hand raised? Okay, Maya. Well, there's Maya. Hi, Maya. <laughs> yes, Maya. You good? Oh, oh, okay. Yeah, so I thought, uh, yeah, sorry. So I, I just came back from moon service and thought I saw you were still talking when I joined in. So I just wanted to check something with you. I think I've asked you this many times already, but just to ask you again, um, you talked earlier in response, I think, to a, a couple of questions about um, that practicing doesn't mean getting rid of our angry or unwholesome thoughts, but um, being generous to them, embracing them, and that purity is the conversation between impurity and what looks like purity. And um, so as no, I- one, one small change. Purity is not the conversation between purity and what looks like impurity. Buddha nature is the conversation. Buddha nature includes impurity, meeting face to face with purity. The conversation is not one side or the other. So what what's purity? Well, purity would be impartiality, treating treating everybody the same, having no biases about you know like people who look this way or look that way, having no ego, having no egocentrism. Purity is imperceptible accord with all beings. Purity is justice. But justice is a conversation between impurity and purity. And you purity said is not justice. You said it's acceptable. That's I think important. Yeah. The 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 converse the, the purity is not something you can see. We only see particularities. We only see things from a particular narrow point. We we only see things that have been made coherent. But pure, purity is incoherent. There's no way to grasp it. And the conversation between the two is justice. And again, for me to get to be get rid of my biases and my impurities, if I would extend that, then that would mean to get rid of everybody else's and then we'd have no sentient beings. Because normal human beings have bias and egocentrism. That's a normal consciousness, and that's a normal unconsciousness. And these consciousnesses, and these unconsciousnesses, and these bodies, which are built to take care and practice compassion, but they're also built to be self-centered, self-serving, self-concerned, and vigilant about what other people think of us and all that. I'm not trying to get rid of that. 
and I'm aware that some in some Buddhist texts it talks about it seems to be talking about eliminating. I'm more like making peace with. I have yeah, you have more questions, more more debates, Mayo? Um not right now. <laughs> I'm I'm sure I'll bring it up again, but that's helpful. Thank you. You're welcome. All right. So maybe that's enough for today. Uh, I was asked to do a nurse service, but I, I declined because I thought I'd be doing this. It it did happen. It happened. Great. Thanks for thanks for leading the nurse service. On behalf of everyone. Yeah, thank you. So we can continue the conversation. Let's continue the conversation, okay, friends? Please continue to offer me conversation pieces. Please continue to question me. Please continue to doubt me. Please continue to debate with me and welcome me to do the same with you. Okay? I'm filled with joy meeting you face to face. Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by the San Francisco Zen Center. Our programs are made possible by the donations we receive. Please help us to continue to realize and actualize the practice of giving by offering your financial support. For more information, visit sfzc.org and click Giving. May we fully enjoy the Dharma.